Uh, I've done a bit of uh, background reading in preparation for this talk. If you're thinking it was just going to be a, a chat with me asking you questions the whole time, I, I now need to prove that I have done some preparation uh, and I've got some things to say as well. Uh, but we may uh, kind of conclude by kind of chatting together again uh, at the end. So be on your toes for that. But I've done a bit of background reading and I came across uh, some research uh, done by a Canadian psychologist who studied the London Blitz in the early 1940s. And he discovered that the rates of depression across London actually went down during the Nazi bombardment. And after the bombing, they shot right back up again. And his interpretation was that it's not that humans have this kind of odd, bizarre, perverse love of being bombed out of their homes, but it was more down to the sense of community in air raid shelters that through that experience brought the whole city together. You see, as many of you probably know from personal experience, there is something about living in a city that can breed loneliness. It's like you're surrounded constantly by tens of thousands of people, but pretty much all of them are strangers to you, kind of nameless faces. And because cities are so transient with people coming and going the whole time, it can be a real struggle, can't it, to develop any in-depth, long-term relationships. But there was something about the Blitz in London that brought people together. But I think it's fair to say that over the eight decades since then, there has been something of a decline in community in our nation, uh, resulting uh, just two years back now in Theresa May appointing the UK's first ever loneliness minister. Uh, in her statement to the press at the launch event, Theresa May said this, she said, for far too many people, loneliness is the sad reality of modern life. In fact, uh, the UK uh, has been described as the loneliness capital of Europe. An official study suggests that the inhabitants of the UK are less likely to know their neighbours or to have strong friendships with people than anywhere else in the whole of Europe. And I think uh, in the aftermath of Brexit, we now live the other side of Brexit, uh, I suggest we're probably going to get a little more isolated uh, in the not-too-distant future. I think to compound matters, there are currently 7.6 million single-person households in the UK, which I think goes some way to explain the findings of a bit more recent research, which suggests that over 9 million people would privately admit they are always, or at least often, lonely. Just to break this down a bit, according to Age UK, one million older people haven't spoken to anyone in the last month. Almost four million would say the TV is their main form of company. And the Charity Action for Children has found that a quarter of all parents would say they feel lonely and isolated. Another study of 18 to 34-year-olds showed that they were more likely to feel lonely often to worry about feeling alone and to feel depressed because of loneliness. And as you're probably aware, with loneliness comes a whole range of different health problems. One study concludes that lonely people have a 64% increased chance of developing clinical dementia. 
Another study found that a lack of social connections among lonely people poses a similar risk of early death as smoking 15 cigarettes per day. Loneliness has a greater impact on your lifespan than obesity. But aside from the health of our minds and our bodies, I'd suggest that the health of society at large is at risk right now. There are studies that show that the rampant, they're just sneaking in at the back, but a big cheer for the Karmacharyas. Welcome. <laughs> Sorry if you're looking for a little kind of quiet entrance. I don't know how this will turn out on the recording, but huge respect. Well done. Great to see you. Um, I'll distract myself there. Um, uh, with with uh, the, the rampant individualism we have in our society at the moment, it, it just leads to this loneliness that so many of us would uh, either experience ourselves or recognise in the lives of people around us. Uh, and loneliness inevitably leads to a sense of tribalism. Uh, and the writer David Brooks calls tribalism that this dark, evil twin of community. Whereas community, uh, we, we raised some of the characteristics of it earlier, community uh, is based on mutual love for one another. Tribalism is based more on mutual hate, the people you're against, the people you are opposed to and despise. Community uh, is about who and what we are for. It's very positive. Tribalism is more about what we are against. Community is about generosity and honouring others and a celebration of our differences. Tribalism is more like this battle for scarce resources where we kill or be killed. If God sets the lonely in families, I'd suggest individualism sets the lonely in tribes. And as this guy David Brooks concludes, the tragic paradox of hyper-individualism is that, we, that what began as an ecstatic liberation ends up as a war of tribe against tribe that crushes the individuals it sought to free. And I suggest that is one of the biggest problems facing us in our society right now. Bet you're glad you came today, aren't you? <laughs> Cheery little subject, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you've set me up perfectly. Because, as Anna would ask, and I think maybe some of us are beginning to wonder, is there any good news against this backdrop? Uh, I think the question is, does the Bible have anything to say by way of a solution to what we see happening in the society around us? Does it have a solution for a culture that is descending, let's be honest, deeper and deeper into individualism and loneliness and tribalism? Does the Bible suggest a different way, an alternative way, a better way for us to live? Well, in case you're wondering, the answer is categorically yes. So there is a bit of good news to come. And to back this up, uh, all I want to do in the time that remains uh, is slightly unusual. Uh, we're not going to camp out just in one passage. Uh, I'm simply going to read you 59 examples, you heard me right, 59 examples just from the New Testament of what it means to be a follower of Jesus before then stepping back from that and making a few comments on how to live this out. So here we go, 59 different passages. As I read these verses, uh, I, I want you to stay awake uh, and see if you can work out 
what the common denominator is between all of these passages. Okay, here we go. Love each other. 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 Live in peace with each other. Wash one another's feet. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Love one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. Instruct one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Greet one another with a holy kiss. When you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Have equal concern for each other. Serve one another humbly in love. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Carry each other's burdens. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Do not lie to each other. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Teach one another. Admonish one another. Make your love increase and overflow for each other. Love each other. Encourage each other. Encourage each other and build each other up. Encourage one another daily. Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Encourage one another. Do not slander one another. Don't grumble against each other. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. Live in harmony with one another. Love each other deeply. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Love one another. 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 59 references, passages. Never thought you'd get that here at Church Central. So there you have it, 59 insights into what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Anyone spot a common theme in all those references? I can hear a murmuring. One another. There, there was quite the emphasis on one another. It's like the New Testament writers assumed two very simple things about every follower of Jesus. Firstly, they just assume you're in community with others. Not, not just in a meeting like this every Sunday, but in a community where you know and are known. They also assume it's really messy at times. Like all of them assume that there are people you have to accept 
because you don't want to. Uh, and why do you think there are all these kind of instructions love one another? It's probably because we find it hard at times to love one another. We need to be told we have to do it. That There are people you have to work really hard to honour because, quite honestly, you don't like them all the time. Uh, and there are people you need to instruct because there are times when it feels like they don't really have a clue. And there are people you need to bear with and confess to and forgive. The assumption is that you're in a kind of community like this and it's going to be messy, it's going to be tough, it's going to be challenging, it's going to be hard at times. But nonetheless, community is the primary place where we are learning to love Jesus more and become more like him. Now all that being said, I think there are a couple of mistakes that some of us perhaps make at times when we think of community. I didn't pick this up from you earlier, so good job, but I'm just going to touch on these two mistakes very quickly. The first mistake is we mistake connectivity with community. We all know, don't we, that we are way more connected than ever before with email, texts, FaceTime, WhatsApp, Instagram, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, Instagram, <laughs> Facebook, Twitter, and so on not to mention old-fashioned trains, planes, and automobiles, uh, and I'm grateful for all of that. It, it makes life so much simpler at times, but despite all that, loneliness, as we've seen, is still very much on the rise. It's through the roof at the moment. In fact, in study after study, there's actually this direct link between social media use and loneliness. It seems like the more you use digital technology, the more lonely you're likely to feel. It's like we spend more time liking the photo of someone who we can kind of vaguely remotely remember going to the same school as than we do in face-to-face -face conversation with a close friend. That's the first mistake. We mistake connectivity with community. Here's the second one. I think often we can mistake chemistry with community. What I mean by chemistry is not that kind of subject at school. Uh, I'm talking about the spark we get when we find an instant connection with someone who is like us. Uh, as the writer C.S. Lewis once put it, the root of all friendship is you too. You like those things as well. You like the same music as me. You dress the same as I do, you, you like the same author, you are watching the same Netflix series, you support the same sports team, you, you have similar hobbies to me. You know, uh, over the years, I've met a few people like that, but if truth be told, we, we don't do life together. We, we, we might see each other a couple of times a year, but we don't tend to share day-in, day-out life where we're tired and grumpy and under pressure and see the worst bits of one another. My point is, I think we can have community with people that we have very little chemistry with, and we can have chemistry with people that we have very little community with. Now, of course, they can overlap, and it's wonderful when they do, but they don't have to. So, if community isn't primarily connectivity or even chemistry, what exactly is it? Well, just to take things a step on from the brilliant answers you gave earlier about community, I'm going to teach you a little bit of Greek. You up for that? Uh, just, just one word. Uh, okay. Uh, the word koinonia. 
Can you say that with me? Koinonia. You, you now know Greek. I mean, today has not been in vain. I'm, I'm, I'm teaching you something. This word koinonia, it can be translated as, anyone know? Fellowship or partnership or to share or to have something in common. It can be defined as people with common interests who, who fellowship together in a particular area. And so putting all of that together, uh, what then is community for us as Christians? Well, I think it's simply people that we live pretty close to. And what do we have in common? Well, first and foremost, it's nothing other than Jesus. It's not our ethnicity. It's not our cultural preferences. It's not our accent. It's not our stage of life. It's not our education. It's not our taste in music. The one common denominator is Jesus. I think really community is a very simple idea. It's incredibly hard work at times, but it's not complicated. It's simply people that you live by and follow Jesus with. There's a guy called John Mark Comer who argues that if you study the life of Jesus, perhaps the two most important practices that he modelled in his time on earth were silence and solitude and community. And anecdotally, in my own personal experience, I say my life would back that up. Probably the, the the best moments of encountering and experiencing Jesus for me are either when I'm alone with him in the quiet or when I'm together in community with other followers of Jesus. If you dig deeper into the four Gospels, you'll see that Jesus kind of oscillated back and forth between those things, between silence and solitude and community. Silence and solitude community. There's this rhythm of retreating away to quiet places and returning to spend time in close proximity with his followers. I think for a lot of us, if truth be told, we're ever so slightly scared to give ourselves completely to either of those practices. I mean, when was the last time you intentionally cut yourself off from all the noise, the distraction, your phone, social media, for a whole day, a whole weekend, a whole week, just to invest in your relationship with God. And when it comes to community, yeah, we hang out with friends, but when was the last time you were completely open and vulnerable with someone else? You know, I think if we're honest, many of us not all of us, but many of us hover in this middle ground of kind of pseudo-community where we come to church, we have Christian friends, but we hold a little bit back. We, we, we hold back just a core part of who we really are. Now look, this is a complex subject, and I've got probably five minutes left. So I'm just going to dig into a few of the reasons for this, three of the common ones. It's way more complicated than this. There are way more reasons for this, but just three reasons why we perhaps don't engage in community in the ways that maybe Jesus would invite us to. The first one, and we've kind of touched on this already, is individualism. To, to live in community, the bottom line is we have to commit, but what if something better comes along? And believe me, it will. 
there's got some fear, isn't there, of missing out, choice anxiety, wanting just to keep all of our options open. I think it goes a bit deeper than that. To, to commit to community is to put ourselves under the authority of Jesus as Lord. It is to give up our autonomy, our control, a bit of our freedom, which is very much at odds, isn't it, with the culture of our city. My point is to live in community, to enjoy all the benefits of community. We aren't just to do whatever we want, whenever we want. We have to give up some of that. And I think this goes against the individualism that is so rampant all around us. It's like on the one hand, we hate feeling isolated and lonely. We crave connection but we so idolise personal freedom and our independence that we won't sacrifice it in order to step into and build actual community. Individualism wars against this. Idealism does as well. That's the second thing, idealism. Uh, in his uh, wonderful book, Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes, every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He who loves the dream of community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. The man who fashions a visionary ideal of community demands that it be realized by God, by others, and by himself. He enters the community of Christians with his demands, sets up his own law, judges the brethren and God himself accordingly. In similar vein, Tim Keller argues in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, that probably the main reason why marriages fail is because of wildly unrealistic expectations. And I think many of us make the exact same mistake when it comes to community. Now, as Christians, we can have really high expectations, and rightly so, but we waste our life then waiting around for the perfect fit that just doesn't exist. Or we bounce around from one church to another, to another, to another, in search of the ideal that's actually a myth. You know, it's so easy to destroy the reality of what is, of what we have, in the name of idealistic vision of something that we will never truly grasp. Because if those 59 passages earlier told us anything, it's, it's hard work and we have to keep working at this. It's not easy, it's not perfect. And then here's the third thing, the third reason that maybe we struggle to engage with community. It's intimidation. Intimidation. I think for many of us, probably, if truth be told, this is the root issue. We're scared of this. We're a little nervous. We're fearful. Uh, and I'm not merely speaking to the introverts in the room who might have a little bit of social anxiety. Introversion, extroversion, they have nothing to do with how relational or how social someone is. You know, some of the most relational people I know who enjoy a rich web of relationships are heavily introverted and actually some of the most lonely people 
the most superficial, the most transient people I know are kind of off-the-charts extroverts who seem to make friends everywhere they go. And I'm not having a dig at extroverts, just as I'm not vindicating the persecuted minority of us introverts. Well, maybe I am slightly, but <laughs> let's put that to one side. Really, I'm just saying that both introverts and extroverts are scared of what might happen if their real self is laid bare, if others see what they're really like. And so we can avoid genuine community because we're scared that who we really are will come out. What I'm wanting to convince you of today is that through all of this, community is the only way, is the only way to grow into the person that God wants us to be. Community is the place where we mess up, where people can call us out on things. We recognize that that's not who we want to be. We're, we're vulnerable. We repent. We receive grace. We're accountable. receive help from others. You see, spiritual growth is a community project, but it's risky. I mean, the chances are you'll get hurt. You, you, you could open up and experience rejection or criticism, or the perennial person who's there to fix you every time you have an issue. But it's in community that growth comes. As scary as community is, I tell you, that is where Jesus does some of his best work. So today, if you hadn't got the message already, it's simply an invitation to follow Jesus deeper into community. I don't know. Perhaps some of you aren't doing that right now. You're here, which is good. You're welcome. You have some Christian friends, which is great. But if you're being honest, you'd say you're not really in community with others. Now, I get that a lot of us are nervous about this. But hopefully, 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 I've persuaded you to overcome your fear and at least consider giving it more of a go. As scary as community is, for all kinds of reasons, individualism, idealism, intimidation, just three of many, through all of that, community is just the best place for you to grow into all God has for you. I mean, think back to all those one-anothering commands we looked at earlier. It's in community with others that we develop to become more like Jesus. But the reality is, community doesn't just happen by accident which incidentally is why we try our hardest to encourage everyone to be part of a life group. Uh, just to say in a perfect world, I hope it's right saying this, Owen, life groups would not exist. In a perfect world, they, they, there would be no such thing as a life group. We'd just naturally find one another. We would just naturally live in deep community without any need for organized groups. But I think part of the nature of living in a city like this, coupled with the sheer busyness of life and our own tendencies, is we need a bit of help. We need a bit of a nudge to find one another. I mean, let's be honest, this doesn't come naturally for a lot of us. And there are a whole bunch of people, even in this room, who would say they feel pretty lonely or isolated right now. So if you're not in a life group, at the moment, I know a lot of you are there. I'm, I'm loving the fact you're doing freedom in Christ. Well done. I, I hope that's going well for you. But if you haven't yet signed up, if you're not yet in a group, is it, is it too late? Is it 
There's, there's still room for you. No pressure. No heavy sales pitch. I've been asked to say this only if you want to. But why not give it a go? That being said, for many more of you, you are already living in community. And the call is maybe just to stay at it when it's hard. Or maybe it's simply to love that person that you're tempted to gossip about and avoid. Or possibly it's to have the hard conversation that you want to ignore. Or, or, or maybe it's doing the hard work of forgiveness. Or it could just be taking the next step forward in accountability and vulnerability. My point is, for each of us, let's just start where we're at. As hard as it is, and as imperfect and messy as it is at times, I think there is something here for all of us. So whatever it looks like for you, the call of Jesus is to community. And on that note, I'm going to pass back over to Steve and Jan, who are going to give a little bit of instruction, and maybe we'll get to kind of have a bit more of a chat about this before we break. Over to you.